Welcome back to Behind the Wings, a podcast produced by Wings Over the Rockies Air and Space Museum in beautiful Denver, Colorado. And we've got an awful lot to explore. Stories about how history shapes aviation today, trailblazers in space, up-close looks at iconic aircraft, and on today's show, one of the few pilots to ever successfully land an A-10 Warthog manually. It's time to go Behind the Wings. All right, here we are, episode 22, and we're so glad to have you along for the ride. Do me a favor, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen. And if you like the show, consider leaving us a rating. It's the best way for new people to discover us, and we really do appreciate it. We're excited to bring you a heroic episode today. I'm your host, Rick Crandall, and with me, as always, is Wings Over the Rockies president and CEO, John Barry. All right, John, what do we have for folks today? Well, Rick, today's episode will be following an incredible journey, one that starts at the Air Force Academy, where in 1993, they had just allowed women to fly combat aircraft. Now, this episode will take us from the blue skies of Colorado to the desert sun of Baghdad and back again. Rick, would you like to do the honors and announce today's guest? Well, John, I thought you would never ask. Thanks. Today's guest is none other than Colonel Kim Casey Campbell herself. Kim served in the Air Force for 24 years, earning herself a very decorated career. She's one of the few pilots to ever land an A-10 Warthog manually, so stick around for that incredible story. Kim has overcome more than her fair share of obstacles and has maintained a failing forward mentality through her military service to her new speaking and coaching career. There's a lot to learn in this episode, folks, so buckle your seatbelts because this is going to be a fun flight. Let's get started. Colonel Kim Casey Campbell, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're, we're really excited to have you here. And to start off, you know, let's do the uh, obligatory G. Could you please uh, introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, I am uh, retired now, Colonel Kim Casey Campbell. I recently retired from the Air Force after 24 years of service. Most of that time I spent as an A-10 Warthog pilot, uh, but also spent opportunities um, in command and leading teams. And then most recently finished off my career at the Air Force Academy uh, teaching in the Military and Strategic Studies Department and also as the director for the Center for Character and Leadership Development. Loved my time in the Air Force. Yeah, there were some challenges along the way too, but really enjoyed obviously the opportunity to fly the A-10 and to support our troops on the ground uh, throughout conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. Just an incredible opportunity to serve um, and I'm grateful for it. I was in six years enlisted. My, my career ended at the Air Force Academy. I actually was on the enlisted faculty there teaching uh, the Blue Tube television course. I don't know if the channel was still there when you were there, when cadets were doing their own news program internally, right? And then I was at the uh, athletic department as a civilian for a few years afterwards. But for you, the experience is full circle, beginning and ending of your career right there at that remarkable place. Yeah, it was definitely a great way to end my career. I mean, I started at the Air Force Academy as a young cadet, having no idea where my career would take me, and to finish out and close out there in a way that did feel like life had come full circle, and to be able to give back and to help inspire this next generation of leaders. So it was, a, it was an exciting time and a great way to finish and close out my career. 
KC, before we get into your journey and experiences about becoming a fighter pilot, I want to start off with the big picture. What is your favorite thing about flight? I think for me as an A-10 pilot, my favorite thing is knowing when you make a difference, like when you make an impact, when you save somebody's life. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day and the mission and the tactics and what we're doing and the training. And, you know, if just to step back and look at that bigger picture of what we were able to do, what we were able to make a difference. And, and I really only came to that realization after a mission or after a deployment when I came back and found a note one day that some ground troops had left for me that said, thanks for saving us over Baghdad, or a few different words, but I'll keep it clean. Um, but it said, thanks for saving us um, over Baghdad. And then I got a, a recently a, a note on LinkedIn from a daughter of someone had served and said, thank you for saving my dad. I wouldn't be here without the work that you and other A-10 pilots have done. And I think that that to me is like, it's the why behind everything that we do. It's the why behind all the training and the hard work and the frustrations at times. It's kind of that bigger picture. I think that's probably for me what stands out the most. That is very cool. You know, it's always amazing hearing stories from experienced pilots like yourself. I want to go back, though, and start at the beginning. Your father was a, a captain in the Air Force, but you weren't really very interested in flying or the armed forces early on in life. However, your uh, trajectory kind of quickly changed in your teenage years when you joined the Civil Air Patrol and made your first solo flight in a civilian aircraft. Was there a, a certain moment where you finally did catch that bug for flying that kind of led you down this road? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my dad had was an Air Force Academy graduate. He graduated with the class of 1970. He was out of the Air Force right about the time that I was born. And so I didn't experience life as an Air Force brat. I didn't really know about the Air Force at all. And then one day in 1986, I was watching the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger. And as I think many of us students were so excited to watch this launch, uh, Krista McAuliffe was on the shuttle. And, you know, this, this idea of there being a teacher in space was exciting. Exciting, and we watched the launch in all excitement. And then to see, sadly, the devastation kind of play out in front of us and, and knowing that we lost all the astronauts on that mission, I was devastated watching it more than I thought was normal, I guess. I just really felt like I connected with the astronauts in some way. And keep in mind, I was in fifth grade at this time. And after talking to my mom, who was an oncology nurse, um, you know, she reminded me that, you know, sometimes there are things in life that are bigger and more important than yourself, you know, that you're willing to give your life for. And I decided at that point that this astronaut thing seemed pretty cool and it was something that I wanted to do. I talked to my dad about it as well and he said, well, if you want to be an astronaut, you might consider becoming a pilot. A lot of the astronauts are pilots and a lot of them went to the Air Force Academy. But again, I was in fifth grade. So I don't think he actually thought that this was something that I would follow through on. I mean, I was just young and, you know, had a lot of desires and, and ideas about what I wanted to do with my life. But for me, it was the switch. It was like from that point on, I became committed to this goal of going to the Air Force Academy, becoming a fighter pilot with the ultimate goal of someday going on to become an astronaut. Everything changed. I was focused in school. I started all these extracurricular activities. And then these cadets from Civil Air Patrol showed up. And it was like, wait a second, they're my age, they're wearing an Air Force uniform, and they can go fly? Like, this is something I can I can get on board with. Um, and really, that is where I got the bug. I mean, I started flying in Civil Air Patrol, I ended up getting enough flights to solo, and it was just a change in my life. It was a total different path and direction, but it was one that I'm so glad happened. And, and really, the Challenger launch was the spark for that. That's an incredible story. 
in a time when rules and regulations towards women were constantly changing in the Air Force, what was it like attending the academy at that time? Were there any memories that stand out to you? So when I got to the Air Force Academy, I think by that time we were about 16% uh, women. Now the Air Force Academy is roughly 30% women. So the numbers have increased over time for sure. You know, there are so many memories from the Air Force Academy. I mean, it was just um, in itself was a challenge to get in. I actually got rejected before I got accepted. And so just getting there for me was... Once I was there, I was so committed to working hard and not just surviving, but excelling there. I really wanted to excel and, and prove that I belonged, um, not because I was a woman, but because I got that rejection letter that, you know, <laughs> that I was grateful they um, eventually decided to take a chance on me. But I think, you know, I, I remember moments like, you know, raising my right hand and taking the oath of office for the first time and, and swearing to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. When you're a young basic cadet, like, I don't think you get the reality of what that means. I think it's just, this is part of the process. I get it. I understand service. I don't think I really got that until much later in my career and, and really understood the impact. I remember, you know, just moments of working together with my classmates and getting through hard things together, whether it was basic training, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape, which is something that we all went through at the time and is required certainly now for all pilots. You know, there's moments like that that were so hard, so demanding, and yet I became a better person because of it, because of those hard things. I think they all prepared me for later in my career when I really needed to be able to perform at that moment. And then I, of course, remember graduation because that is the, <laughs> the best part is knowing that you had made it through four years of a really tough program and tough education um, and being able to graduate and, again, take the oath of office um, now in a very different way, knowing that it was time to go off and do what we were trained to do. That being told first, no, you can't come, and then later be, and then, okay, we're going to give you a chance, certainly impacted your career because, I mean, some pretty impressive accolades. When you graduated in 97, you held the highest position Academy can achieve, Cadet Wing Commander, which your father actually had earned as well, making you the first father and daughter to serve as Cadet Wing Commanders. After everything to get to that point, was there a moment that stood out that was, you know what, I'm going to be a pilot. I've done this. I am actually going to be a pilot? Well, unfortunately, that didn't come easy either. I had done well um, at the Air Force Academy, and I knew where I stood in the class ranking, which is all about how you uh, get chosen for your positions. But unfortunately, late in my time at the Air Force Academy, we all went through medical evaluations, and they discovered a heart issue that I was not aware of. And so when I, I had a pilot slot and I, I was very excited and then was told that not only was I not going to be a pilot, but they were also not going to commission me so that I would graduate, but I would not become a second lieutenant in the Air Force. And that was obviously crushing. But thankfully, one day I was sitting at lunch with some of the general officers who were there visiting and they were asking us what we wanted to do. And I said, well, I really wanted to be a pilot, but I've got this medical issue. And he stopped and said, is this what you really want? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I, I really want to be a pilot. And he said, well, let's go talk to Sheila. That happened to be Dr. Sheila Widnall, Secretary of the Air Force. <laughs> and he brought me over to her table and said, Dr. Widnall, probably not Sheila to her, uh, said, Kim really wants to be a pilot. Do you think we could make that happen? And, and she, you know, said, well, send me all the paperwork. Let me take a look at it. And uh, thankfully, she took a chance on me as well and uh, looked at my record, looked at my performance and decided to um, offer me an exception to policy to be able to go fly. So I, you know, that moment of like, I'm finally going to be a pilot came so late, you know, just 
I knew I was going to have a chance. I'm not sure it really sunk in until I was actually at pilot training, you know, when I finally was like, okay, I'm here. But again, now it's like, okay, now I've got the secretary of the Air Force who took a chance on me. Now I, I really need to perform and excel. So it was always kind of this driving thing for me of having this motivation of, you know, wanting to prove myself to say, thank you for being willing to take a chance. So it didn't happen easy. And again, I think that gave me that motivation to really work hard and push myself. Casey, uh, let's jump ahead a little bit and talk about Casey, the fighter pilot. During your military career, you flew the Fairchild Republic A-10 Thunderbolt II, also known as the Warthog. Now, the A-10 was unique for a lot of reasons, one of which being that it was the only production fighter aircraft to serve in the Air Force designed primarily to provide close air support, and that being support to the ground troops. With over 10 years of experience, 1,800 hours of flight time in the Warthog and 100 combat missions with it, what was it like to fly this airplane? What role was the A-10 playing during combat missions? You know, the reason I chose the A-10 was because of the mission to be able to provide support to our troops on the ground. I just, I love that. I love the mission set. And I also love the low-level missions. So during pilot training, I I enjoyed really the low-level missions the most. But, you know, it is an impressive airplane. It was designed to provide support to the troops on the ground. That meant that it could take hits while performing its mission. And, you know, it's just, it's an impressive airplane. It is by far the best airplane that we have to do close air support because because it was designed for that mission and because that is specifically what we as pilots train for. I mean, that is our bread and butter. That is what we focus on on almost every mission. I mean, we do have other missions that we fly, but that is primarily what we train for, which is why I think that's what makes A-10 pilots so good. And I say that because I know what the troops on the ground say. I know what we do. I know we do it well. To me, what makes the A-10 difficult to fly is all the tactics, everything that we have to do while we're flying. So flying the airplane isn't the hard part. It's finding targets, uh, thinking through tactics, choosing weapons, potentially while you're being shot at. All of those things kind of contribute to the stress and and that you're trying to do a lot of things at once and you really have to prioritize, focus on what's most important first. I think that is what makes the A-10 difficult to fly is all the things that go with it. Sure. All right. Well, I mean, you knew I was going to get to this question eventually. In 2003, you were flying the Warthog to aid U.S. troops in Operation Iraqi Freedom. And during one of the missions over Baghdad, disaster struck when your aircraft was hit by anti-aircraft. Your plane was badly damaged, but luckily you were able to switch into manual reversion. I can only imagine what that's like. John, help me figure that out. Well, I've learned this too, but manual reversion switches the controls from hydraulics to cables and pulleys, similar to how the Wright brothers flew their aircraft back in 1903. Now, only a handful of pilots have ever successfully landed the A-10 manually. What happened on that day? What was going through your head, Casey? I think these are those moments where you think this kind of thing will never happen to you. You know, we train for it, we talk about it, but I think you just may be hoping and thinking that it's such a small chance. But this was, you know, one of those days of providing close air support where our troops were taking fire and we were going to get in there and do everything that we could to help them out. And unfortunately, the weather wasn't great, so we were lower than we normally are. Um, But we had a call for our troops in contact and we got down below the weather. And, um, you know, immediately I could see the firefight. I could see everything going on, uh, you know, with tracers and smoke. And then I could also see the enemy shooting at us, too. I mean, they were we could see puffs of smoke in the air and bright flashes. So it was a very high threat situation. Uh, we decided we were just going to do a couple passes. And unfortunately, on my last pass coming off target is when I felt and heard 
that loud explosion at the back of the airplane. And uh, I knew immediately I was hit. There was no doubt in my mind. I mean, the jet nosed over. I mean, I, I remember pulling back on the control stick and nothing happened, quickly trying to analyze everything that's going on. And I, I noticed very quickly uh, amongst many lights on my caution panel that my hydraulics were completely depleted. And hydraulics are really what allows us to fly the airplane. So at this point, I, I really have two options, and one isn't great, and that's ejecting. And so uh, the only other option is, like you said, this manual reversion mode. And uh, thankfully, I flipped the switch, and the, the airplane responded. But flying in manual reversion is challenging because now you are you don't have the hydraulics on the airplane to help you fly it. You're flying on these cranks and cables and pulleys. I equate it to like uh, driving a dump truck or a semi truck without power steering. So it's just, it's heavy. It's hard to fly. It's, it's maneuverable, but not very well. The other thing that made it really difficult for me is that I had emergency jettisoned all of the ordnance off of my airplane so that I could climb. I was struggling to climb when I got hit. And I had one thing left on my airplane out on the left wing, very heavy, an electronic countermeasure pod that is hardwired to the airplane. And so if I let my hands off of the stick, then the airplane just wanted to roll. It wanted to roll because I had this very heavy electronic countermeasure pod on the wing. But now I have an hour trip home. And I think that's where the thinking came in of, do I get it back to friendly territory and try to land? Or do I just get back and find a safe space to eject. Probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever made, but I also felt like I had a lot going my way. I had a very experienced flight lead with me, the winds were down the runway, and I had an hour to fly the airplane and kind of get a feel for it. So I made the decision to try to land the airplane. And, um, you know, I remember coming back in, it was hazy because of the standard dust storms in Kuwait, and uh, they had turned up the lights for me so I could, you know, see the runway as best that I could. And uh, it was kind of like, this is it. You know, I made the decision. I felt confident in the decision, but, you know, still nervous about the outcome. Uh, I remember coming in on that final approach and getting into ground effect just over the runway, and I felt like the airplane was going to flip over on its back. It just made this quick little roll, and, you know, it's kind of that moment of my heart skipped a beat, but thankfully just kind of yanked the stick back, the airplane levels out, and did a full-on what I'll call a Navy power-on carrier-type landing, just flying the airplane all the way to the ground, which is what our checklist describes as the, the way to land in this type of manual reversion landing. But I still say it was the best landing that I've ever done. You know, it was by far, I think, uh, the smoothest, most concentrated I've ever been on a landing. And again, just that immense feeling of relief to be back on the ground. Definitely the longest hour of my life, that is for sure. That's an incredible story. And 24 years of decorated military service, you decided to turn your career around to speaking and coaching to benefit a lot of people. You take from your experience as a fighter pilot and help individuals and companies face their fears, believe in themselves, and move on. From fighter pilot to inspirational speaker, what are some of the key takeaways from the cockpit? Well, I think there's so many lessons that I learned, you know, from that mission over Baghdad, but really throughout my Air Force career. And I, I wanted to be able to share those with others. I think I realized how important it was for me during my career to hear stories and lessons learned of people that came before me because I don't really want anybody to have to go fly an A-10 over Baghdad to learn the lessons, but it's knowing that you get through hard things because you have a wingman by your side. You have somebody to provide that mutual support. And for me, that mutual support was critical over Baghdad, but I've learned that mutual support is critical in our everyday lives. It's critical in a professional life. It's critical in a personal life to have somebody by your side, to have a wingman to provide mutual support, to have your back. 
I got to see what good leadership looks like in a moment where this was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done. And yet my leadership, my flight lead who was with me that day, he had my back. He empowered me to make a decision about landing the airplane. And he said, Casey, you're flying a single seat fighter and whatever you decide, I will I will have your back. I mean, he was with me. We talked through it. We came you know, to this decision. But it, in the end, he empowered me to make my own decision. He believed in me. He trusted me. You know, he knew the training. He understood you know, all the work and training that I had put in, and he trusted me to make a decision. So it's this idea of empowering people, you know, giving them the training and the resources, but empowering them to make decisions to take action. Those are things that I saw firsthand. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm thankful for that opportunity to see what it's like to be part of a team that will push each other and challenge each other. And, you know, so there is some competition, but it's all about making the team better. You know, can we hold each other accountable? Can we support each other? Can we encourage each other so that the whole team performs well? And those are part of the messages that I share. And, you know, I think the other thing that, you know, you mentioned it is this idea of overcoming fears and, and being able to do hard things, you know, even when you're scared, to be afraid and do it anyway. It's this idea that we face fears in our lives, whether not just life or death situations, but fear of not meeting expectations, fear of change, fear of the unknown, all of these things. It is a completely normal reaction, but you have to be able to take action. And so I, I talk about how you can do that, how you can step up and take action in the face of fear. That's the important thing. And so I've, I've loved the opportunity kind of on this other side, this next chapter of life, to be able to share some of those stories and messages. Earlier this year, your book, Flying in the Face of Fear, came out. And in the book, you write, fighter pilots embrace vulnerability to learn through our success as well as our failures. During your time in the military, and now you've always followed, a failing forward mentality. I like the sound of that. I'm curious. Failing forward. How does that mentality really help you, not just as a fighter pilot, but as a business as well? Yeah, I think as a pilot, very early on, we learned that we debrief after every mission. And we're going to debrief, we're going to talk about our objectives, we're going to talk about what we did well so that we can do it again, but we're also going to talk about our mistakes, where we failed on the mission, what we did wrong. And we're going to drill down into them, we're going to figure out why, we're going to determine the root cause, we're going to identify some lessons learned, and then we're going to figure out what we're going to do differently on the next mission. And that helps create this culture, this environment where we feel safe to provide feedback and admit mistakes because the whole point is to fail forward, which means to fail and to learn from it, to move on, to learn from those mistakes and failures and to get better through that process. So that is something that I learned very early in my career through this debrief. But a debrief, I think, is an effective accountability tool really for any team or organization, because when you debrief, you ensure that you're not so rigid that you can't change your behavior or your way of thinking. You learn to stay flexible in really this ever-changing and dynamic environment. Debriefs really only work, though, if you have an environment of trust where people feel safe to provide feedback without blame or shame. And, you know, once you have that culture of trust where you can share lessons learned, you you can freely share, I made this mistake, but here's what I learned and here's what I'm going to do differently on this next mission. I think it makes the entire team better. You walk out of that debrief as better pilots and then you share the lessons learned with the rest of your team with the whole goal of elevating the performance of a team. As we get towards the end, I want to ask an inspirational question for all of our listeners out there who are trying to find their own path in aerospace or whatever their dreams may be. 
Here at Wings Over the Rockies, we have several pathways where the next generation can begin exploring aviation on all these different facets and possibly start their first steps towards an aerospace career. As someone who began their aviation journey early on in life, do you have any advice, Casey, for younger people looking to get into aerospace? Well, I think it's important to, you know, find something that you're passionate about. I think aerospace in any level is something that requires work and dedication and commitment. And if you enjoy what you're doing, then it really doesn't feel like work. It just feels like something that you're excited about. But you have to be able to put in the work. And this is the advice I give to all young people, including my kids, is that if you want something, then go for it. But you have to be able to put in the work. You have to be willing to put in the hours, to put in the studying, to put in the work to make it happen. Um, you know, goals and dreams don't just happen on their own. You have to be willing to put in the work. Know that it is not always going to go as planned. I mean, you are going to face mistakes and failures and rejection along the way. If it's something that you want, then get up. You know, when you get knocked down, you get back up again. You get back in the game and you keep after it. It is not an easy path, but if it's one that you love, that is your goal, your dream, then, then keep up, you know, keep after it and continue to work hard. I don't want to just have this end without pointing out, too, that not only was your military career successful in the air, but goodness gracious, I mean, you were involved as a military assistant to the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. You were Air Force Senior Fellow at the Atlantic Council. Uh, you mentioned uh, your time as a director for the Center for Character and Leadership Development at the Air Force Academy. Beyond being up in the air, there was a lot you were able career-wise to accomplish on the ground as well. Yeah, I think I took a lot of the lessons that I learned as a pilot um, at watching, you know, successful teams operate to see what makes a high performing team. And then I took that with me as I became a leader of teams. And I, you know, I, I took those lessons and I worked to apply them on my own. I certainly made my share of mistakes on my own leadership journey. But leading teams and being a commander was definitely some of the highlight of my career. I mean, I love flying the A-10, but I also love the opportunity to lead teams and to connect with people and to help them, you know, work towards their own goals and dreams. Uh, it was an incredible opportunity. Um, I learned so much from my young airmen as well. I mean, they taught me a lot about leadership and that it's not just about having that tough exterior and being this combat-proven fighter pilot. It is also about truly connecting with people on a human level and getting to know them, valuing them for their expertise, taking the time to learn from them, knowing that you don't have to have all the answers that you can learn from the members of your team. I mean, there is so much goodness in all of that. And that is very much about what I, I speak about and I share with others because there's so much I learned along the way. And I really try to dig into the most important lessons that I learned. Kim, it was great having you here. Thank you for this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. What an amazing journey to hear about and learn from. There were so many interesting aspects of Kim's life that I hadn't considered. Frankly, I'd never thought about losing hydraulics on a plane and trying to land it. So, John, that has crossed your mind a time or two in your own flying career. What were your takeaways? Well, the amazing part about it was, you know, Casey came out to Wings uh, a couple of months ago and was promoting her book. And I had read it and was just intrigued to be able to talk to her personally. But, you know, it's one thing to fly in combat, as a lot of us have, and uh, to get shot at and then to be have a damaged aircraft, but then to be able to recover it safely, especially when it hadn't really been done all but one time before. And uh, that wasn't always a great success. And 
So Casey surely showed her airmanship as a fighter pilot, certainly from the standpoint of bringing great pride to all the female fighter pilots and pilots in the past and in the future. She really was one of the leading edge examples of how good a decision we made to be able to allow women to fly combat. So well done, Casey. Yeah, indeed, John. Well said. And the other obstacles that she overcame as well along the way, really, it was a remarkable story, and it was a pleasure to talk with her. Well, that is going to do it, folks. We hope you enjoyed Episode 22 of the Behind the Wings podcast. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit wingsmuseum.org slash podcast to join the conversation and access the show notes. Now, don't forget, we've got new episodes coming out every other Monday, okay? Be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and subscribe. And while you're at it, be sure to leave a review. It's the best way to get our show out there. And we greatly appreciate hearing from you. That's going to do it. We'll see you next time right here on Behind the Wings.